Welcome to Trauma-Informed Parenting, where you can find information about adoption, foster care, parenting a child with a capital letter syndrome, such as ADD, ADHD, FASD, SPD, on the spectrum, etc., and trauma-informed parenting, all in one place. I'm Kathleen Guire, your host, mother of seven, four through adoption, former National Parent of the Year, author, teacher, and speaker, but more important than any of those things, I'm a parent just like you. I know what it's like to raise kiddos with trauma histories and capital letter syndromes. I used to feel as if I were the only one struggling, and because I felt that way, I isolated myself. I don't want you to feel alone in your parenting journey. So grab a cup of coffee and join me for Trauma-Informed Parenting, a Coffee Break Podcast. Hi, Kathleen Guire here. Welcome to this episode of Trauma-Informed Parenting. Today, I want to talk about family, government, and culture. I think this is an extremely important episode because... It's something that we have control over to a large extent, but often something we don't even think about. We don't even think about the fact that we each have a family government or culture within our own family, and we don't think about the fact that we can change things if we need to or want to. We kind of get stuck in the this is the way it is kind of pattern. But before I get ahead of myself, which I already did, I'm going to tell you, see, I'm, I'm really excited about this one. So I may trip up on my words, but you're used to that. Number one, examine your culture of origin. Number two, examine your kiddo's culture of origin. And I'm talking about if you adopted or you foster or also if you are in a family situation where you are co-parenting with someone, you're divorced or some other situation, kinship parenting, all those sorts of things. And then number three, decide what sort of family government you want to have. So these are things that we don't, like I said, we don't often think about them. We just kind of do parenting. We do what we're doing. So starting with examine your culture of origin. I'm talking about the way that you grew up. Now, as soon as I say that, I don't want you to think, oh my gosh, well, the the way I grew up was fine. It was right. It's the way we did things. It's It's just the way it was. I am not saying that everything in your early childhood was wrong. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying examine it. Look at it. Look at what worked. Look at what didn't work. Think about all the enjoyable times that you had as a child and what were your parents doing and how can you emulate that if you want that to be part of your focus. Now, I'm going to start with sharing a little bit about my childhood and my family origins, which have 
definite, definite pivot points in there. But one of the things in my childhood was, and you might think this is strange, but this is the way it was. My mother did not want us to watch TV. And I'm not talking about what some people do, which is a good thing, limiting the TV time and having, you know, you get one hour of screen time a day or whatever. No, we didn't have a TV. We didn't watch TV because she thought that it would do something to our brains, which now science is kind of catching up with what my mom thought. That was not good to have too much time in front of a screen. So we did not have TV. That was part of my family culture. So we did other things because we did not have TV. We read more books, we played more games, we had more discussions. And another part of my family of origin was we had mealtimes together. Breakfast, lunch if it were a weekend, and dinner, and you needed to be at the table. You had to be at the table. And we had specific assigned seats at the table. It wasn't militant. It was just like, that's where Robert sits. That's where Annie sits. That's where Natasha sits. That's where Jess sits. That's where Kathleen sits. That's just the way it was. And so the reason I'm going into this was because you have parts of your family culture that were just the way they were, just like I said, but you've never thought about Did you want to continue them into your family patterns and your culture? Do you have that same system of government in your family? Are you raising your children the same way? Now, like I said, I had some pivots in my family as well because of major life changes. My early life was traumatized by abuse, alcoholism, not me, (laughs) my dad, and eventually divorce. And so there was a major pivot where my mom took all of us and we moved away and we started again and we started fresh. And she eventually got remarried to a colonel. So my life changed drastically. I went from not knowing, you know, how my dad was going to react, if he was going to be mad that day, if something I did the day before was going to cause him to overreact the next day because the day before it was fine, but today it's not. If you were raised in a chaotic environment, then you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you were raised by an alcoholic, you know what I'm talking about. So then suddenly... Our family culture shifted to being one of more predictability, more stability, more knowing what to expect, having more of a parent-led family that was not based on feeling, but based on schedule and love and unconditional love and all of those sorts of things were just like flipping a switch in our family. So I'm talking about those things because I want you to think about your family origins, your family culture, and what it was like. Think, And the reason I'm saying that, even talk about it with your siblings if you can, or somebody, your spouse, 
so that you can verbally process it. And it may trigger you. It may trigger you good memories. It may trigger you bad memories. But think through all of them. One of the other things that my family used to do together was, and this was after the divorce, and my mom had remarried. My stepfather was very big on taking us kids on trips where we could learn. So every summer for five or six weeks in the summer, we would load up in the VW van and travel out west. Go to things like the Grand Canyon, Mount Rushmore, all those sorts of things. And sometimes we'd stay in a hotel if the weather was bad, and other times we would stay at a campground. And it was quite a learning experience. And I'm sharing that one because when I met my husband, when we started dating, you know, I just, you know, we go into these dating situations with the idea in the back of our mind, we never really consciously think about it. It's just everybody was raised like I was or everybody did what I did. So he will have understanding. So when we got married and we would talk about taking the kids on vacation, what we were going to do, often he would bulk at that and be like, well, we're not doing that this year. And to me, that just blew my mind because of my family of origin, my early culture. That was just something that was always so important to us. And to think, well, we can't financially do this, or we're not going to do that, or that's not as important to me, that just really blew my mind. And I'm going to share, I was thinking about before I started recording, I was thinking about this little funny story while I was walking. And this is true. Um, We had, you know, we have seven kids and I'm from a family of five kids plus three step siblings who never did live with us. But so we did these large family living things. And one of the things that my mother did was she had this huge, long skillet to cook pancakes and French toast and those sorts of things. So she could make eight pancakes at a time. So it wasn't too long into our marriage when I bought this large cast iron griddle that fit over two burners so I could make eight pancakes or eight pieces of French toast at a time. My husband often traveled a lot for his job and he was gone a lot, but when he would come home, one of the things the kids liked him to do was to cook breakfast for them. And he would get out our cast iron skillet that was very small. You could make like one or two eggs on it or one pancake and make one pancake at a time for all of these kiddos. And they would have to wait. And I would say, I, why are you doing that? We have this huge two burner cast iron skillet that you can make eight at a time. And he said, well, this is the way my mom always did it. This is how you do it. And so I asked my mother-in-law about that. I told her the whole little scenario and what was going on. And she laughed and she said, well, you know what? And there are four kiddos in my husband's family. She said, the only reason I used that little single burner, one egg, one pancake, cast iron, 
Japan was because that's all I had at the time. And I couldn't afford to buy something else. So there you go. I'm not picking on my husband. I'm sure he has many stories about me, but that's how it goes. That's how we just, that's the way it was. So that's the way I'm doing it. And I'm sharing that story not to put blame on anyone, but to focus on the fact that there are things, bigger things than cast iron skillets in our family culture that we are doing on a regular basis because we've never taken the time to think about it. So that's the way it is because that's the way it was and I'm not going to change it. Okay? Now I'm going to go on to number two because I don't want to run out of time. But I will go back to what I just said in number three when we decide what sort of family government you want to have. But number two is extremely important too is also examine your kiddos' culture of origin. What kind of government system were they living in? Now, four of my kiddos came from an orphanage. So they had that orphanage mentality. And I share a lot about this in my book, A Positive Adoption Story, The Door from Theology to Reality. And in fact, I printed off some of my chapters because there's so many things that I talk about family culture and family government in these chapters. And here, Jerry and I were trying to establish a foundation of family unit in our to-be-guire children's minds before the adoption. We were living in the orphanage. We lived there for a month with our kiddos, and it was so helpful. But we had to be super intentional about not letting the philosophy of the orphanage dictate our family's philosophy and habits. We were fighting the nature of our environment. Now, what do I mean by that? How were we fighting the nature of our environment? Sometimes we are in competition with our kiddos' origins, their early family government, whether it was neglect or abuse or lack or whether it was in the orphanage where the kiddos were all had a schedule, but there was, I'll share a certain incident so you get an idea of what I'm talking about. There were teens to young kiddos in this orphanage. And one day we were looking for Gregory. He wasn't in our rooms. He wasn't upstairs where the younger kids were and he was only six years old. So my daughter, Audrey, who's the oldest, she was 12 at the time. She just started searching the orphanage for her little brother, and um, she found him in the teen lounge watching an R-rated movie with the rest of the teens. And <laughs> Audrey, being the, the wonderful girl that she is, kind of dragged him out of there like, you can't watch this movie. You can't watch this. And she brought him back to our rooms in the orphanage, and our interpreter who was a college student, she said, why did you do that? He 
They didn't mind that he was in there. They were fine with him watching that movie. So that was part of the culture in the orphanage. And here's the zinger. This was the one that really, really zapped us is she said, well, that was an American movie. Why would you have a problem with that? Because that movie came from your country. And we found while staying there that a lot of our TV shows and movies were broadcast there. And we are supposed to be the Christian nation. We are supposed to be the great representation of godliness. And that was not a representation at all. And I'm going to read you this quote from Landscape with Dragons by Michael O'Brien. With television in most homes throughout the Western world, images bombard our minds in a way never seen before. Children are especially vulnerable to the power of images precisely because they are at a stage of development when their fundamental concepts of reality are being formed. Our society is the first in history to produce such a culture and to export it to the world, sweeping away the cultures of various nations, peoples, and establishing the world's first global civilization. But what is the character of this new civilization. So while examining the culture of the orphanage and seeing that that we were being blamed, well, America was importing, Poland was importing these shows from America. So then there are these deeper things that we have to get into and examine and is everything going on in our culture okay? But what is, you know, what's the character of this culture? And is that the kind of character that we want to have in our homes? So how could I explain to Marta that a country famous for being a Christ-centered baseball and apple pie nation has succumbed to the very ideology that her country was trying to leave behind? So... Oh my gosh, I feel like I have so much to say, and I I don't want to take too much time, but I want you to really dig in and think about this. What things from the culture are you accepting as a norm just because they exist? What sorts of things are we practicing that our kids cultures are trying to get away from. So here we were in Poland adopting a sibling group of four in a post-communist nation that that was still very fresh and new and trying they are trying to open themselves up to this Christ-centered nation and I'm putting that in air quotes because that's what we were represented as And trying to change their culture. And so here my kids are living in this change. And what parts of it were really helping them and what parts of them, what parts were hurting them. So our family was working counterculturally, not just against the orphanage, but now against our own country 
as we were just, we watched it go in a dangerous direction. So I know I'm, I'm saying a, a, a lot of deep things, but let me backtrack here for a second and talk about your kiddos' families of origin. And I also mentioned like maybe you're divorced or maybe you're doing kinship. So you've got all of these different variables in there. Maybe you've had lack and abuse or maybe you left an abusive situation to start all over. And because of that, you are beginning to form a new culture, the culture that is frightening and different, but more attachment parenting and more felt safe and all of these things. So you're examining it at from this point and you're trying to make some changes. So it's important to take that time and say, what was our culture like before? Which kind of moves me into the third point which is, you know, what parts of the culture do you want to keep? That's number three. Decide what sort of family government you want. Do you want a family government where people feel accepted, unconditionally loved? Do you want a parent-led family? Do you want to celebrate your child's achievements and whether you need to change and realign the expectations for them because they have a capital letter syndrome. There's FASD, ADHD, ADD, GAD, ASD. The the list is long. Do you want that child, your family government, your culture to be accepting and loving and accommodating for that child. And that might trigger number one, examining your family culture. Maybe you, like me, have a capital letter syndrome and there were parts of your childhood where you did not feel loved and appreciated because maybe your parents just did not know. Maybe they didn't have the tools. Maybe they hadn't been loved and accepted. Maybe it wasn't part of something that they had learned how to do. Now, does that mean we need to sit here and play the blame game and say it's all their fault? No, that means this is your chance. This is your time to examine your family culture and say, these are the things that I want in my family. I go, I suggest to go as far as to write these things down. What sorts of things do you want to have in your family? And one of the phrases that I have used in my family in thinking through things in my family is 10 years from now, is this going to matter? Some of the things is like, yes, this is going to matter 10 years from now. Other things are, this is not going to matter 10 years from now. For example, if you have a child who has to have a peanut butter sandwich for lunch every single day, Is that going to matter 10 years from now? No. If that same child wants a peanut butter sandwich every single day and you make it a major issue and you say you have to eat 
what we're eating or you blame, shame, whatever, is it going to matter 10 years from now? Yes. Now, I'm picking that very small example because some of the things that we do in our families are going to plant seeds of connection, of growth, of memories. And I'm going to share another example. Um, One of my sons, my youngest, he did not do well with outings, like even things that were going to be fun for him. For example, if I said, we're going to go out and get ice cream, he would make sure he kicked, punched, slammed somebody up against the wall, argued with everybody so that when everybody got in the Suburban, he would have the smirk on his face and everybody else would be mad at Raphael. Sorry, Raphael, but you know it's true and he's given me permission to share these things. But here's the thing. Years later... He talks about those memories with fondness, like, oh my gosh, remember the time we went out to get ice cream? Remember the time that we did this? And one specific story is he was probably 16 or 17. And my husband and I decided just kind of on a whim, it was in November, December to go Christmas shopping. And he went along with us and we drove like an hour and a half and went to this plaza that had all these shops that I liked and actually Cabela's too, which he liked. And then we went out to to dinner before we went home. And we were kind of, my husband and I were kind of concerned to take this trip with him because of what I just said before. He didn't do well and it was just him. But I was so shocked at his response to that. Because on the way home, he did great on the trip. And on the way home, you know, he might have gotten a little anxious. But on the way home, he said to me, Mom, this reminds me of all the times that we would all go Christmas shopping together. And then we'd draw names and we'd pick things. And then we'd go out to dinner. And he talked about all of these memories, like a slew of them on the way home about how great they were and how much fun he had. And why am I sharing that story? Because part of my family culture has always been the habit of celebration. It was present in my family of origin, especially after the divorce. It was, you know, we're going to go do these fun things. We had regularly scheduled fun days to go do things. And we obviously had five to six weeks of vacation every summer where we went to do fun things. And one of the things that it taught me was you do it whether everybody else feels like it or whether you feel like it or not because it's in that relationship, it's in that close proximity, it's in those planned events that you spend the time together that you're not only planting seeds of connection that are going to last a lifetime, but you are going to reap a harvest later. And I often tell young moms who will say to me, because I've had them say this to me after like a speaking engagement or, you know, sharing at a mom's tea, and they'll come up to me and say, well, you know, I want to just plan a cookie making day, but My kids say they don't want to do it. Do it anyway. I'm telling you, 
You decide. You decide. And you know what? You may have one kid that just sits there on his hands. He may complain the whole time. He may not participate. But you never know what's going on in his mind and heart. You never know what he's absorbing. Just like my son. And I'm going to finish up today. Honestly, I feel like I've been talking like Minnie Mouse because I could talk for another couple days on this subject, but I just, I'm going to remind you to examine your family government of origin. What were the rules? What were the unwritten rules? What did you do on a daily basis? What sorts of things were amazing and what sorts of things were things that you just don't want to practice in your own family? Take the time to talk about it with your spouse communicate because he has a different family of origin or she has a different family. You know what I mean. There's a different family of origin and it's it can be a lot more than a cast iron skillet. So you need to talk it through. And then second of all, examine your child's family of origin. Find out all the information you can about how they were brought up, or when they come into your home, start observing. Have they ever sat down at the table for a meal? Amber Stewart mentions that on her nutrition podcast. Like, there are so many different variables you need to think about. And then you need to, instead of all of a sudden, I'm going to change all this, you start connecting in small ways and instituting your family government. And when I say instituting your family government, that doesn't mean you take this gavel and you slam it down and you say, this is the way that we do things. No, it's by making minor small changes, but keeping in your mind the whole time what the vision of your family should look like. Which brings me to number three is you decide what sort of family government do you want. Do you want a parent-led family? Do you want to have a connected family? Do you want to invest the time in doing things with your kiddos so that you can reap that harvest of connection, even if you don't reap it today? And honestly, and I say this to young moms all the time too, don't just do something one time or even for one week, and then give up. And if you're raising kiddos with capital letter syndromes and a trauma history and or both, expect that you're going to keep doing the right thing over and over and over again. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard some days. It's going to be so rewarding other days. But you keep on doing it and ask yourself, 10 years from now, is this going to matter? So I'm going to wrap it up there for today. Hope I got you thinking and talking. Bye. Thanks for listening to Trauma-Informed Parenting. Make sure you subscribe on TraumaInformedParenting.com to receive a free resource 
and receive a newsletter plus updates when books or new courses are released. Also, please subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Podomatic, or Spotify and leave a review so other listeners can find trauma-informed parenting and know the value of the show. You're welcome to send me an email to contact at traumainformedparenting.com.